Well, good morning, Christ Chapel. Great to worship with you, whether you're joining us online from wherever, from uh, the West Campus, South Campus, Hive, uh, Converge. So thankful to be able to open God's word with you and study what he says because it's applicable to our lives. Uh, also want to make a quick mention because it's that time of year when uh, we're coming up on a political season and just want you to know uh, that if you are not registered to vote, we have uh, people at each of your campuses uh, to help you do so, to register to vote. We ask that you, uh, you know, follow the, uh, your conscience, but also follow uh, the scriptures. So search the scriptures, do that uh, wisely, biblically, etc. But we want to provide that opportunity so that you can render to Caesar what is Caesar's. And we're going to spend the rest of our time now uh, giving to God uh, what is God's. But uh, speaking of that time of year, it was my time of year not too long ago uh, when I needed to go for my annual physical. Uh, and uh, it was, it's kind of odd in a sense going for an annual physical when you feel like you're totally fine. I mean, like I, I, I was amazed at how many questions my doctor was asking me and, and the, the probing and the, the questioning because I felt healthy as a horse, which I thought about that phrase that you've heard before, which is a really strange phrase. Because if you think about it, all a horse has to do is break his leg and then, you know, we need to change that phrase. Anyway, I felt like I was very healthy, but he continued to ask questions and run various tests. And actually, I was really thankful that he did because one of the things that I found out was my cholesterol was much higher uh, than I had expected. And so we talked through some things that I needed to do and change, et cetera, and it's already made a, a significant difference. But uh, that's not something that you necessarily notice. You don't, you don't notice when your cholesterol gets a little bit higher, but actually cholesterol is in some ways what is called a silent killer. Uh, those cardiovascular diseases are silent killers in our lives physically because they're not things that have obvious symptoms. One day they just sneak up on you and they have a significant impact on your life even though you didn't necessarily uh, recognize it. And that's why doctors are really good at asking all of those questions, looking for those things that are silent killers so they don't have a significant impact on you later on. And that's kind of what we're going to be talking about today because what is true physically is also true spiritually. There are silent killers in our spiritual lives, things that don't necessarily appear on the outside as if anything is wrong but they can sneak up on you and take you out later on and have a huge and significant uh, impact on your spiritual life, on, on your, your relationship with God, your relationship with others, and, and certainly just uh, impact your own spiritual health. And that's what we're going to talk about today are some of those silent killers. So if you will, open up your Bible to Matthew 23. Matthew 23. Uh, we're gonna, going to uh, continue our series, Inside Out. In fact, this is going to be the last week of our Inside Out series before we begin our series on the end times next week. And so uh, Matthew chapter 23, if you're opening one of those blue Bibles, it's page 828. And so in this, this week's Inside Out kind of message, what you're going to see is Jesus does not judge a book by its cover. 
That's what we want everybody to do or to not do in a sense is to not judge a book by its cover. And Jesus does not judge a book by its cover. In fact, he looks far more at what's on the inside than what's on the outside. And you're going to see him specifically do this with the religious leaders of the day. And when he sees what's on the inside of their lives, uh, he doesn't have kind words for them. Uh, In fact, the word that he uses throughout this section is a word, woe. And it's not, whoa, it's woe. I mean, it's it's the deep, the deep woe. It's the bad woe. Now, the word woe is used throughout Scripture in really two different ways. In one way, it's used in a, a sad tone, like, whoa. You see all these tone inflections? Man, I've, I didn't even think about practicing these things. Um, but it's, it's like, whoa, I'm sad. That is not the woe that Jesus is using here in Scripture. What he is using is the very forceful, condemning type of woe. Of woe, I am unhappy. And the reason why I know that is because of how Matthew chapter 23 ends when he's calling the scribes and the Pharisees, you brood of vipers. No one wants to be called a viper, especially by Jesus. Uh, Vipers are dangerous and deceptive. They're sneaky. And that's one of the reasons why he's condemning them is because they have not, this, this, what we're going to talk about today has not only been a spiritual killer or silent killer in their own life, they have been sneaky to kill other people with their deceptive means. And that's why he's saying woe in a condemning tone. He is not happy with them. And the reason why he's not happy with them is because they have been spiritual Hypocrites. Spiritual hypocrisy is one of the greatest silent killers to your spiritual life and my spiritual life. And he goes throughout this entire chapter telling them how they have been spiritual hypocrites. And before you think, wow, I'm glad you just told me what this was about because the rest of the sermon, Cody, doesn't apply to me. Whoa, okay? (laughs) It does apply to you, and it applies to me. Because if you think about the people that Jesus is talking to here, he's talking to the people who sit in pews every Sunday. He's talking to people who tithe. He's talking to people who pray. He's talking about people who have memorized Scripture. He's talking to people just like you and me. And this idea of spiritual hypocrisy is not always so obvious. And it's been my prayer as I've prepared this message is that oftentimes as as I just read the word and we read it together here, what I usually say is, may our hearts be open to hear from your word. May we be open to hearing what his spirit has to say to us. Because I don't want any of these silent killers of spiritual hypocrisy to sneak up in your life or my life. We are all susceptible to it. Every one of us. And so what I want to do is I want to go throughout these 
seven different woes. And I want to explain to you why spiritual hypocrisy is so dangerous, how it shows up, and then how Jesus tells us he's going to deal with it and how we can deal with it uh, even today so it doesn't sneak up on us. And so I want to go ahead and read through these and show you uh, these different things because as Jesus compares uh, these seven woes, many people have compared them to the Mount of Beatitudes, where the Mount of Beatitudes, if you remember, he said, Blessed are those who, for you will inherit the kingdom of God. That was kind of the pattern. Here, everything is woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Everything is like that. You hypocrites. That's the pattern that goes throughout here. And just to go back very quickly, the word hypocrite, you, you might remember this, was not a pejorative term back, time, back in those times. Back in those times, a hypocrite was somebody who played a role in an act or a play. And they used a mask in order to enhance the believability of their character to their audience. So that's where you get the the tragedy and the comedy masks. You know what I'm talking about, right? Okay? And so that's why they would wear these different masks. And that role, that actor or actress was called a hypocrite. They would wear, they would be two-faced to help them carry out this role. And that's what was going on in those days is the scribes and Pharisees were two-faced. And that's not a good thing when it comes to our spiritual lives. He doesn't want us to be two-faced. He wants our lives to be congruent, that we would be the same person inside and out. And so let me go through uh, these passages with you so that you can understand why it's dangerous, but how it can even show up. And I think we can all go, yeah, I need to be careful about that one. And then we have an application for you at the end. So first, a spiritual hypocrisy is dangerous. And really the reason why it's dangerous is it hides self-serving intent behind good deeds. Spiritual hypocrisy is dangerous because it hides self-serving intent behind good deeds. And just by the way, before we even jump into this, um, most people are pretty good about sniffing out hypocrisy. And as we we go throughout this, if, if you think you're fooling people, you're probably not. You you might be fooling yourself. You know, even in thinking about that whole actor thing, one of the, one of the ways that this was used, this word back in the New Testament, is uh, there was another way that that term hypocrite was used, and it's of someone who deceives themselves. Pro- if your life is incongruent, the inside and the outside don't match, you might only be fooling yourself. And may God have mercy on us today that he would reveal that to us so that we could be congruent because you might be doing good things on the outside, but you're doing them for self-serving means. And that's what Jesus was condemning here. If you look at verses one through three, it says, then Jesus said to the crowds and his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. 
And I'll explain what that is. So do and observe what they tell you. Do what they say, but not the works that they do. For they preach, but do not practice. And then if you go on to verse 5, it says, They do all their deeds in order to be seen by others. So Jesus, these are actually Jesus' last words from the temple area. Remember, we entered the the temple back in uh, earlier in Matthew. Now he's about to leave the temple in chapter 24. But these are his last words to those religious leaders and he turns to the, the, his disciples and to the crowd, and he says, these religious leaders, these scribes and Pharisees, they sit on the seat of Moses. Now, the seat of Moses was an authoritative place that a leader would sit in the synagogue in order to teach God's word. This, this was uh, kind of the, the elevated, this is where we actually get the word bima or the raised platform uh, that we talk about in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. But this is where this word comes from. This elevate, they're elevating the word of God. And elevating that, this is Moses' seat. This is actually in Chorazim in Israel. We'll take you to see it. If you haven't been to Israel, go to Israel. And this is where they would teach. They would roll out the big scroll and teach from that authoritative seat. And so what Jesus says is, they sit on that seat and they tell you great things. Do what they say. I want to be clear about that. Jesus is affirming all the things that they're saying. He's just condemning that their lives don't match up. He said they do not practice what they preach. The the outside doesn't match the inside. And the reason why it doesn't match is because of the motivation of those good deeds, the things that they're doing. And the reason why they're doing those things is because they're doing those things to be seen by others. They're doing those things so that other people would look at them and go, wow, that Sally is super spiritual. You know, that, that Sam, that is super spiritual Sam. Very, very spiritual. That's why they, they help people. That's why they, they pray out loud. And we have a lot of those examples in scripture, but they don't do these things because they want to worship God. They do these things to get a pat on the back from those people around them. And that's why it's really dangerous And this is why it's a sneaky, silent killer. Because if we were all honest, there is a part of us that does good things so that we get a pat on our back from those around us. If you have a 100% clean and pure heart, please come and talk to me and tell me how you do that. Okay? I I want to, I'll give you, you need the mic, not me. Because there are aspects of my life as much as I want to be pure and I pray and I pray and I confess my sin and I do all those things, there's still a part of me that even when I do something that I think is, is as pure as it can be, it's not 100% altruistic. It's like a, did somebody see that? You know, I hope they think that that was good. All of us struggle with this. And that's why it is sneaky, and it can sneak up on you and bite you like those vipers can. 
And it can hurt your spiritual life. And that's why Jesus is condemning not only the practice, but he's condemning those who have made it a part of their lives to do everything in their lives in order to be seen by other with zero intent on pleasing God. They were only trying to please themselves. You see, why it's so dangerous is spiritual hypocrisy taints good deeds and it leaves an ungodly effect. Those good deeds aren't just benign. Those good deeds have an ungodly effect. And he's going to go throughout here, and I want to tell you what those ungodly effects are, but I would like to say this. Spiritual hypocrisy is one of the main reasons why people do not come to Christ. is because they say, if you're telling me that that's what it looks like to live like a Christian, then I don't want that. You're not kind. You're not loving, yet you tell me that you go to church. You tell me that you're in a small group. You tell me that you do these things, and you preach at me. But you live in this way. I've seen that, where what you say does not match with what you do. And that's one of the huge hurdles for people coming to Christ. And this is one of the reasons why we have to be aware of it. We've gotta be on guard for it. And let me just also say this, if you're a person who has been hurt by a, a spiritual hypocrite, I am so sorry, none of us are perfect. We will probably all disappoint you and all let you down. But honestly, that's the beauty of the gospel is that God takes imperfect people and calls us his own. And so please don't look at us and mistake us for our savior. He is somebody different than who we are and we're super thankful for that. And our goal is not to point you to ourselves, which we'll talk more about in just a moment, but it's to point you to him. Okay, so what I want to do is I want to go through these seven woes that Jesus lists throughout. And I've tried to put them in modern day language so that you can better identify with them because I think we've all slipped into these at one time or another, but we've got to be on our guard even when our good deeds are tainted because they can be. And so let's go through these seven and I'll explain because there's a lot of explaining to do. So first, Jesus condemns him because he says, you hinder people from coming to Christ. That should scare the bejesus out of us. If you look at verse 13, he says, you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves, nor do you allow those who would enter to go in. Now, if you think about who is he talking to, remember, he's talking to the scribes and the Pharisees. And what passages did we just teach on the past two weeks that the scribes and Pharisees were trying to do to Jesus? They were trying to trap him. They are hindering people from coming to Christ. They did not want people to go to Jesus. That's exactly what they're talking about. And when we throw up any kind of hurdles, whether that hurdle is our own hypocrisy or anything else, woe to us. 
for hindering people to come to Christ. We have to be careful about that. And so we cannot be self-righteous like these uh, Pharisees. And we can't just ask people to change uh, their behavior, which we'll talk uh, more about here in just a second. We've gotta be careful how we are living our lives and what we are pointing people toward. Are we pointing people away from Jesus or are we pointing people toward Jesus? The second woe that he gives He says, you seek to convert people to your own opinions. You seek to convert people to your own opinions. If you look at verse 15, he says, you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte or convert. And when he or she becomes a convert, you make them twice as much a child of hell as yourself. Strong language. What, what was going on during that time, uh, just to explain, is even when he, he's talking about, he's using hyperbole here, about the great links that these people would go to to convert people to what should be Judaism. But remember, Judaism during those days had so many different interpretations of the law. We've even encountered some of them recently when we talked about Pharisees and Sadducees. Two different interpretations of it. And what they would do is they would have a rabbi and they would say, well, rabbi so-and-so teaches me to do this. But my rabbi says this is the most important thing. Remember, we just talked about what's the most important commandments. Different rabbis had different interpretations. And what he's saying here is you go to great lengths to convert someone, but you don't convert them to being a God worshiper. You try to convert them to being a you worshiper to your interpretations, to your preferences, to your opinions. And that's a dangerous, dangerous thing. You see, they were being dogmatic about things beyond doctrine. And we've gotta be careful what we're dogmatic about. If you are dogmatic about things beyond doctrine, that's called legalism where you are trying to get someone to follow these rules in order to gain merit or favor before God. And we are not legalistic at Christ Chapel. We are grace-oriented. We will hold you and you can hold me to the scriptures, to what the scripture says. But beyond that, you have to follow your own conscience before the Lord. See, what they were trying to convert people to was not to follow their own conscience, it's to follow me. Follow what I like. Follow my preference. Follow my opinion on where you should live, on what you should do, on what you should uh, eat, what you shouldn't eat. All of those traditions, they were trying to make people into themselves. They wanted many me's in a sense. And I think we've got to be careful about that. What are you being dogmatic about? When we, Lord help us if we want many me's. We don't want many me's, we want many Christians. Those that are Christ followers, 
that they would be equipped, and it's our goal, that you would be equipped and empowered to follow Christ yourself. That we can encourage one another, strengthen one another, support one another, but in order to do just that. Supporting you to follow the scriptures. The third one, third woe. Woe to you because you talk out of both sides of your mouth. You talk out of both sides of your mouth. The Pharisees were speaking in deceptive loopholes. They would talk about, well, if you make a promise about the gold in the temple, but not about the altar in the temple, about these oaths or promises that they would make, then one is binding and one is not binding. And it's just super confusing the way that they were doing it is because they wanted to be able to get out of things uh, if they could. Now, now, if you're a parent, you are really good at speaking in deceptive loopholes. I know this. I use them every day. When our, I mean, Hayes called me out on it, our six-year-old, the other day. He said, Dad, when you say we'll see or maybe, you just mean no. <laughs> I'm like, well, not always. But yeah. I mean, most of the time, I, I want the out. I don't, I don't want to say we're definitely doing that if I don't want to do that. And so you say, we'll see. But ultimately, what that comes down to, and I'm using a joke there, but what that comes down to, folks, is our integrity. And let's go back to the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verse 37. Jesus says, let your yes be your yes and your no your no. Just be people of integrity. Can people trust what you say? That comes back to the congruency between the inside and the outside. Who we are on the inside matches who we are on the outside, that we don't talk out of both sides of our mouth. Or the next one, he says, you major in the minors. You you major on the things that don't necessarily matter at all. Look at verses 23 and 24, because this one takes some explaining. He says, for you tithe, mint and dill and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others, but you blind guides, you strain out a gnat and you swallow a camel. Quick explanation. Remember, tithing was giving a tenth as a recognition of worship to the Lord that everything you have has been given to you by him. And that tenth, that tithe, was used in order to help care for those in need, but also help care for the priestly duties in the temple, etc. Well, what he's talking about here is you tithe dried leaves, which actually there was no law about having to do that. The only reason that they did that was to appear super spiritual. Like, hey, there's no law about this, but look at me. I'm going above and beyond. And he says they were tithing these tiny little dried leaves, but they were neglecting the larger matters of justice, mercy, and faithfulness. And the reason why he uses that phrase, strain out a gnat, is because if a gnat, you know how small a gnat was, if a gnat was in their drink, they would literally strain it out so that they would not be defiled or unclean by drinking a a dead gnat, dead insect. 
And he says, you go to great lengths to strain out that gnat, this tiny little thing, and you swallow the camel. You defile yourselves because you, you, don't, you neglect those large things that God cares for, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. They completely miss the picture because mercy, justice, and faithfulness, those point to the heart of God. And it, it, it got me asking myself this question, am I known more for what I do or more for what I care about? Are you known more for what you do or what you care about? Might be a good question to ask yourself to distinguish if you're straining a gnat and swallowing a camel. Uh, Fifth, you focus on appearing godly to others. You focus on appearing godly to others. They only wanted to keep the parts that everyone could see clean and tidy. That's why it says in verse 25, you cleaned the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. You just, you just care about tidying up those things. That people, you put on the nice clothes and you go, see, we're great. And you answer every question with, we're doing awesome, we're fine. Tidying up on the outside, but inside, full of greed and self-indulgence. God sees past the outer exterior. He sees past the mask. And if you can't get that from here, then I don't know what will tell you that. But he knows. That's why he's condemning all of these things. Six, he says, you poison people with whom you come in contact You poison people with whom you come in contact. Look at verse 27. He says, you're like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's uh, bones and, and all uncleanliness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Let me explain what this one means, the whitewashed tombs. Uh, If you go to Israel today, you'll see even they use very bright uh, white stones. Uh, This is in Jerusalem uh, for their uh, coffins or these sarcophagus uh, structures. And one of the reasons why they would paint these white is because it would highlight these coffins on the landscape. And the reason why they wanted to highlight those was because if any pilgrim going to worship God in Jerusalem touched one of those tombs or came in contact with anything that was dead, they would be considered ceremonially unclean for seven days. They would have to quarantine for seven days. That would ruin your pilgrimage trip to Jerusalem. You you couldn't worship then. And so they would highlight these things so that they would say, don't touch this. Don't don't come close here because it will make you unclean if you do. Now, when you look at that, if you didn't know what that was, you'd go, look at these beautiful white stones. They they look great, but they contaminate you. They're, They're poisonous in a sense, and that's what he's saying. You look great on the outside. They would have had these beautiful robes that the Pharisees wore, these long tassels and things. They, they look like they had it all together, but they're contaminating those they come in contact with because they're keeping people from Christ. All of these things, they're converting people to their opinions. All of those things are contaminating or poisoning the people that they come in contact with. 
And finally, he says, you self-righteously reject truth and God-given authority. This is the nail in the coffin as he ends it. I think that's why there's seven, by the way. Seven is this number of completion throughout the scripture, and I think this is a complete condemnation of the religious system and leaders of that day. And this last one is the nail in the coffin because what he condemns them for is not accepting truth, not accepting the truth that came through the prophets and ultimately has come through Jesus. And he says, you... Uh, you build the tombs of the prophets, and this is verses 29 and 30, and you decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would have not have taken part in shedding the blood of the prophets. Irony. Let me just highlight that for you. What have they been trying to do to Jesus the entire time? Kill him. And that's what they're about to do. But they're, you know, they're, they're, puffing their chest out, going, we wouldn't have treated the prophets that way. We would accept the, the spiritual authority that the prophets had. We would accept uh, the truth that came through God's word, and yet they don't. They're, they're self-righteous, and he condemns them for all those things because they're giving lip service to the things of God. You see, ultimately what their problem was, and this is why spiritual hypocrisy is a silent killer, is because spiritual hypocrisy ultimately wants to steal glory from God. It ultimately wants to steal glory from God. The Pharisees were trying to take God's place. They wanted to be worshipped. That, I mean, that's it. They wanted people's adoration. They wanted people's attention. They wanted people's affection. They did not want God getting any of that. They wanted it all themselves. They were glory stealers. And that's what he condemns here. If you go back to verses 8 through 10, he says, But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. And neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor who is the Christ. Now let me explain what he's saying here, because what Jesus is saying is not that you can't call your dad, dad, here on earth. But back in those times, rabbis would ask that they would be called father by their disciples. And they would call their disciples children. And it was this, they are trying to supplant God. They wanted superiority in these people's eyes. And he's saying, don't put yourself in a place like that. Give God the glory. So, see, we should not, we should never put somebody in the place that only belongs to God. And I've put this on your sermon notes because we have one master, or that's another word for the word teacher, And that one teacher is Christ. We have one standing. We are children. We have one father. That is God. And we have one posture, and that's humility. Those are exactly opposite of everything the Pharisees were purporting during that time. And if if I can just say this, I think that it's our role um, here at, at Christ Chapel to equip you to do the work of the ministry, Ephesians 4.12. And so I see myself as your brother in Christ. Uh, um, 
I am a sinner just like you are. And so I am not trying to put myself in the place of God. We all follow God's word, and that's what I encourage you to do. Check it yourself. Follow it yourself. Check what I say against it. Let the Holy Spirit be your guide in those things. Uh, We are a fellowship of humble children of God who have been saved by grace through faith. That's it. It's very, very, very simple. So, spiritual hypocrisy is the silent killer. I think that's been pretty clear through Matthew 23. So, what do we do? You need to humble yourself before God humbles you. God will not share his glory with anyone. Anyone. And he gives us an opportunity to humble ourselves before him. Before he humbles us. That's what he says in verses 11 and 12. He says, the greatest among you shall be your servant. And whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. To humble yourself means understanding that you're not the one to be worshipped. To confess any spiritual hypocrisy. To take down that mask. To just be real with God. Because every knee will bow. And he invites us that we can bow before him now as Savior, as, as the great physician, the one who can, can heal us of that silent killer of spiritual hypocrisy. And he can change our heart of stone and give us that heart of flesh like we talked about last week. He can do all those things. And he wants to invite us to humble ourselves now so he doesn't have to humble us later. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you that you warn us. You don't want us to be unaware, unaware of the the devil's schemes, unaware of our own uh, deceitful nature because our hearts are wicked and deceitful. But Lord, you want us to know of that and you want us to bring that to you, to do work with you, the, the heart work that's hard work that only you can do. And so Lord God, may we be a place where we can be real where we can be transparent, where we can be sinners who are saved by grace, who are growing up into the maturity of Christ. Because you, Lord Jesus, are the head of this church and you will continue to guide us in that truth. And Lord God, may we all follow you as your children. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.